Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. You've heard the rumors before, perhaps in whispers, written between the lines of the textbooks. Conspiracies, paranormal events, all those things that disappear from the official explanations. Tune in and learn more of the stuff they don't want you to know in this video podcast from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And we have a history mystery for you today suggested by a listener named Barry who emailed us. And it's about the guy with the coolest nickname I think I've ever heard. The Mad Trapper of Rat River. And the Mad Trapper was the center of a massive Canadian manhunt in the middle of a harsh Yukon winter. But who was he and what happened? So whoever he was, he was very secretive, and he used a lot of aliases, which makes it hard to know much about his early years. So there are several candidates for the Mad Trapper. Johan Johnson, Albert Johnson, Arthur Nelson, and Svigvald Peterson Haxgold, I think. (laughs) And... The crazy thing is, is some of these people could be the same person, just aliases, or it could be different candidates. So we're just starting this off by trying to confuse you. We want to be upfront. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows who this guy is. We know the story, but we don't know the man behind the body that we actually yeah, do have. Because despite all this confusion over the name, there is a body. Uh, it was actually exhumed recently as part of a documentary. And by analyzing the isotopes in the skeleton's teeth, scientists found that the trapper grew up in the northern United States or northern Scandinavia. So we know where he's from. We know how he died. But his name, he made that very confusing for us. So the Mad Trapper gets his start in the collective public consciousness on July 9th, 1931, when a man calling himself Albert Johnson wanders into Fort McPherson and buys supplies from the Northern Traders store. And because he's so secretive, I mean, obviously there are a lot of loner types up up here. You don't, you don't move to the Canadian wilderness if you like a lot of company, probably. But because this guy is so secretive, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police keep a really close eye on him. And he's even questioned by one constable at a certain point, just trying to find out some basic information about where he's from and where he's going. Yeah, who is this person in our midst? <laughs> Pretty standard questions. You know, most people wouldn't be put off by them. But the future mad trapper, Johnson, sets off for Rat River about a week after questioning. And it's a very, very isolated place way up in the Northwest Territories. And he survives by trapping beaver along with a lot of other people who were living in the same area. But by December of 1931, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the RCMP, received complaints from other trappers in the Rat River area that somebody is deliberately springing their traps, which you can imagine would be pretty infuriating if you're out in the cold trapping beaver and somebody or somebody's stealing yours. Well, and whoever made the complaint also said they thought it was him. So they had a suspect already. And the two shady men, loner guy, <laughs> you know, mm. the creepy guy. No one knows who he is. So two men come to talk to him, but he refuses to answer the door or engage with them in any way. So they come back two days later with a search warrant. And when they knock on his door, 
Johnson shoots through the door and wounds one of the officers. Alfred King gets shot in the chest and one of the others has to take him away and they they hightail it back <laughs> to yeah, the city. They're they're not he, Johnson's cabin is built in a very fortified area. It's high above the river and they really don't have even though there're two of them against one, they don't they're not in a position to fight. Plus one of them has been shot. So they come back a few days later and set up a 15-hour siege. They this brought, time with a lot of guys. Oh, yes. Lots of rifles. They brought dynamite to dynamite his cabin. But a blizzard ends up cutting everything short. They've got dogs, men, and all this stuff, and he won't surrender at all. He's just hunkering down in this fortress of a cabin. I can't, I can't imagine how this guy constructed this apparently impenetrable cabin by himself in the middle of the... Yukon. Well, he's quite the survivalist, as we'll see soon, because he escapes during this gigantic blizzard, and he heads off into the wilderness. Search parties are sent out right away. Obviously, the police really want to get this guy. He's shot one of their own, and they've had this gunfight, and they compose their search party of Aboriginal people and the Royal Mounties, and just some volunteer trappers who are probably outraged that their beavers have been stolen. And at one point in January, he is completely surrounded at the bottom of a cliff, and he shoots a constable, Constable Edgar Millen, and somehow in the night, because they all stay in their position, he scales the cliff and gets away again. And, And we should say, too, when he escapes his cabin in the blizzard, it's not like he's got a big pack of wilderness supply. Yeah. He's materials. on foot and he has no food. He he doesn't have any extra clothes and it's scaling a cliff. I mean, did he just climb it barehanded? He's better than Bear Grylls, <laughs> as we will see, because he keeps going. And at some point they've got airplanes on him as well as dog teams and guides. And this is also the first time two-way radios are used in Canadian police work, which is a fun little historical tidbit. So the pilot of the airplane, Wat May, is useful because he can see the tracks or see patterns in the tracks. And he's starting to close in. But another blizzard comes in, February 9th of 1932, which gives Johnson time to cross the mountains into the Yukon. So even more wild than the wilderness he's been in. And Watt May, by the way, was a World War One and Two flying ace. He was really well known. So he was getting a celebrity pilot in on it, not just any guy. And he realized that Johnson had been walking in caribou tracks to hide his own tracks. By February 14th, Watt May spots Johnson's tracks on the Bell River and starts following them to where they turn south up the Eagle River. And the police begin to close in at this point. So on February 17th, he's trapped on a frozen river, but he still won't surrender. And he goes down shooting instead. The end of our mad trapper came when one of the bullets struck some of the ammunition he had in his pocket, and it exploded, blew a hole in his hip, and the shot hit him in the spine, and that's when he finally died. He was 100 pounds from this chase of 48 days covering 150 miles in the Northwest Territories in a Yukon winter. And the things found on his body are are real survivalist material. He's got two rifles, and he also has $2,000 in both Canadian and American money. He's got gold, a compass, a razor, a knife, some fish hooks and nails, and Sarah's favorite items. A dead squirrel, 
and a dead bird. And I guess if he was 100 pounds, maybe he should have eaten those. (laughs) He probably should have. Because he was probably planning on it. The crazy thing is that throughout this entire thing, no one ever heard him talk. No one knows who he is. And no one even knows if he did the thing he was accused of. They never saw evidence of him making fires. They rarely ever saw his tracks. No one's entirely sure how he even got away through some of this. Well, and so the question of was he really mad, as his name implies, comes up a lot, too. He clearly knew what he was doing. He certainly wasn't incapacitated in the sense that he knew how to cover his tracks. He knew how to survive out there. But what was motivating him to run away? Why did he hate authority so much? And some people really admired him for that when they did exhume his body. And people had requested it before, but the elders of this village, Aklovic, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I'm sorry, finally agreed when a film company, the one doing the documentary, told them that they would do it very respectfully and they would have a ceremony and there would be priests present. And then they said it was okay. And when DNA ruled out a lot of the people who thought they had relatives who might be the mad trapper, they were really disappointed he was this figure that people wanted to be related, related to. to. That's so that's so strange that with several generations worth of distance between this guy and these wannabe relatives, it's interesting that somebody who goes down in this manhunt, maybe committed crimes, is just as desirable a relative as somebody who's illustrious and famous for good reasons. But you have to admit, it's kind of cool what he was able to do with the little he had. And... The well, you can say you're a was. descendant of the Mad Trapper of Rat River then, too. <laughs> I mean, I think that's a lot of it. He was the epitome of the strong and silent type. We still don't know anything about him other than the fact that he was in his 30s when he died and was either Scandinavian or North American. But there's a great folk song that we found um, written about him called, of course, The Mad Trapper of Rat River, because why would anyone deviate from that title. It's too good. (laughs) It's by Stanley G. Triggs, and it was recorded in the 60s, so not too long after the Mad Trapper went down. Yeah, about 30 years. Yeah, about 30 years. So, let's take a listen. They journeyed up to his cabin No harm was meant, you know But the trapper with his six guns They laid up on But I really liked the final line of that song. But give the credit to the Mounties. They always get their man. They did. And that ties into a really cool email we got from a listener named Jonathan in Belgium, who said that we broke his writer's block and sent us song lyrics to a ballad about the Northwest Passage and Franklin's Lost Expedition. Which was a podcast we had done a few months ago. And it was really cool, so we'd like to challenge you to send us song lyrics to some sort of historical mystery, the Mad Trapper, if you'd like, yes, to historypodcast at howstuffworks.com. So hopefully one day we'll find out the true identity of the Mad Trapper. For now, his DNA is still waiting there in the lab, so I guess if anybody thinks they have a plausible relationship, maybe contact this scientist. It's still up for grabs. (laughs) So if you'd like to read some more survival content, we've got how to survive a shipwreck, how to survive a plane crash, how to build a fire, all sorts of stuff, come to our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. 
And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 